Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Okay, if you're here for the first time, you're welcome. I hope um, you feel at home, and I pray that, the, that God will have His uh, will and His way uh, with you this morning, for that's the reason why you're here. So, God willing, um, God will speak to you. Um, let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> let's come before God, asking Him that He may speak to us this morning individually, personally, that we know that He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that we're not here for any other person other than Him. So come before Him, ask of Him, lay your life at His feet and receive from Him this morning. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, for every person in this room. I pray, Lord God, that you would have your hand upon them, Lord God, that you would speak to them personally, Lord God. That's why you brought us to this place for our daily bread this morning. You say that when two or three gather, that you are here in the midst of us. And we believe this, Lord God. We believe that you are here in the midst of us. You've brought us here, Lord God. You have something to speak, to say to us. Pray that you open our eyes, open our ears. Cast the devil out of this room, this place, Father. Shield us, Father, by your grace. Shield us, Father, by your love and your goodness, Father. And we give you this morning that you may speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, I don't know if you've ever had this phrase said to you, but um, I know I've, I've had it a few times when you've kind of left uh, the, the house or you've left the, the door open and you're, you're rushing and you hear this comment that sometimes people say, they say, um, well, you live in a tent or something. Have you had that? So you live in a tent or something, like, you know, when the kids just barge out of the house and they leave the door open, you're in the car and you're looking and you're thinking, hey, you live in a tent or something, you know. It's interesting, this idea, um, leaving the door open behind you. And um, I think uh, um, for some reason, the Middle Eastern people uh, must say it often, this, this, this idea of um, close the door. Because I remember I was talking to this young girl named Genevieve. She's like probably about 10 years old. And she knew that I was Lebanese. And so she says to me, I know Lebanese. And I said, oh, that's nice. And, I, and she goes, I go, well, how do you know Lebanese? She goes, oh, my friend's Lebanese. She goes, I know how to speak some Lebanese. I go, oh, what do you know? She goes, um, I go, really? Really? That's what she said. It's like, what you doing here? <laughs> I go, oh, so your friend's Lebanese and you know the word, what you doing here? <laughs> and then she goes, I also know another one. I go, what is that? She goes, <laughs> so poor girl, she didn't understand basically the culture was, what you doing here? Close the door. <laughs> so, so obviously, um, the girl's friend's parents didn't want her there, but anyway. <laughs> and so quite naturally, <clears throat> quite naturally, and, and we, we use sarcasm, you know, uh, you know what, naturally we do that, you know, because it's, it's natural to kind of close the door behind you, mate, you know, le- what are you doing leaving the door open? It's just a natural default. When you leave something, you close the door behind you. But un- unfortunately, it's not so natural when it comes to faith. And I think if we can 
learn about faith, and that's what I want to share with you this morning, that we need to make space or room, a room for faith, and we need to close the door behind us. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, because there's certain things in the Bible that I find extraordinary, how God, by His divine, wonderful beauty, when He wrote the Word of God, there's little glimpses where God tells us to shut the door behind you, close the door behind you, because there's got to be a space for faith to nourish. There's got to be a room for faith to grow. And if you don't shut the door behind you, you might find that the distractions and everything else that's trying to come in is going to tear at your faith. We don't want the distraction now today. You know, we, 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 it's family time. Close the door. It's family time. So I want to draw your attention to a passage found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Elisha um, uh, meets this widow in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Now, Elisha was a prophet of God found in the Old Testament. And in verse 1 we read, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my sons, my two sons, to be his slaves. So Elisha had a friend who was also another prophet who was married to this woman and he had died. Elisha's friend had died. But the problem is, is that this woman no longer had any um, firm source of, of leadership in her family. So the, back in the day, it was basically the man ruled the house and whatever he dictated, he was the law. You know, and he, he represented the family. He came to the defense of the family. And if you found yourself to be a widow, you're kind of ostracized. Like you, you're cut out, you know. And so this was her circumstance because when her husband had passed away, there was a huge debt that needed to be paid. And the only way that that payment was going to be made is if they come and take her two sons, which made it even worse. I mean, I need at least a male in, in this household to come to my defense, and not only wasn't she able to pay that, but the creditors were coming to take her son. So it was a pretty, pretty intense situation. Maybe we don't understand it fully, but I'm pretty sure there's probably situations just as harsh and hard, uh, just as deep in your current life at the moment, you know? And so she says to Elisha, your mate, your friend has passed away and they're coming after my sons. What am I going to do? I'm going to be left lonely like a vagabond through this land. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. In verse 3 we read, then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty the vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you come in, now listen to this, and when you have come in, in verse 4, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. When you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Verse 5. So, so she went from him and what did she do? And shut the door behind her and her sons and brought, who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now I know that you might not think that's quite a significant thing. But I think it's very, very significant because if it's not there, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have penned it down for us. Very clear instructions. I want you to get the vessels and the oil 
And you must do what God requires for you to do. And sometimes we focus too much on the task, but there's little instructions that have to be part of God's plan in order for us to fulfill it properly. So we all know we've all got got to have faith, right? We all know this is what God requires of us. And sometimes we stumble and we trip and we fall because we think, you know, a Christian is someone who's got a strong faith. But where we fail is that when we find ourselves flat on our face is because although we had faith, we didn't know how to give it space. We didn't know how to nourish it. We didn't know how to let it grow. We didn't create the room for it so that it can kind of flourish. But yeah, we have faith. But we find ourselves up and down, up and down because we never made room for it. So sometimes we have faith, but we still carry with us the distractions of life. You understand? So we have faith, but what we drag into the room with our faith is the pestering and the challenge to kind of continue in faith in the heat of the moment. I'm still going to have faith when quite simply I could have just shut the door. Think about this. Her concern, the very concern that she had was for her two sons. And even her two sons, she was called to shut the door on. The very thing that she wanted was the very thing she had to do what? Shut the door on. Close the door. You see, people, they find it hard when it comes to faith because they want to hold on to faith, but they still want to hold on to the very things that they're troubled about or the very things that they still desire for God to hear or what they want God to, to do. But it doesn't work like that with faith. Faith is very singular. It has, to be, it has to be looked after. It's, it's pure. And that's why you can't have a faith that's unfeigned or a, a faith that's kind of uh, wrecked. You've got to guard this faith and you've got to trust God and leave everything that's going to be a distraction to this faith outside the door. Look what happens uh, not long after uh, in, the, in the next verse 32. The same. When Elisha came into the house, this is another woman, the Shunammite woman whose son had just died radically, like just crazy. He just collapsed dead. She just lost him. There was the child laying dead on his bed. Now what does he do here? Verse 33. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. You'll find this throughout the Bible. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Elisha once again meets this woman whose son had just collapsed. I don't know if you've ever experienced such devastation. It wasn't something that was going to happen slowly. I know that he's sick. He just collapsed in the field. like It's like traumatic. You don't even have time to collect your emotions. You don't even have time to think about the situation. Just dead. So this requires, more than anything, a time of what? Faith. Like, it's not a game. This is serious. I need something to take a hold of my heart because it's going to bleed. (laughs) So what does Elisha Elisha do? Well, he's the man of God that's called to come and heal the situation. He knows. He's he's in tune with the voice of God. He knows. He's been trained by him. So to deal with this situation, what must I do? Shut the door to who? Two of them. His servant and the, the mother. He sent the servant ahead of him to suss out the situation. But this time when he got there, he told his servant, you stay outside, stay with the mum. And he shut the door 
behind him. Why? Because I think that Elisha is, is looking into this situation and he knows he requires faith. But he's not going to be able to muster up the faith and the strength of the faith that he needs if he hears the wailing woman in his ear, you know. He can't kind of hear the stories. Oh, I don't know what happened. I think there was a blood vessel that burst in his brain. And he's trying to have faith. He goes, hang on, brain vessel burst in his brain. Oh, that, that, almost my faith is now shaken. As though, you know, I thought he just fell. Now, brain, now that's too much for God to do something. So what does he do? He shuts the door behind him. And this is what we've got to do. So the Bible says that any man who wants to war for the things of God, he can't entangle himself with the affairs of the world. Because the affairs of the world are going to rip at your faith. So if you want to fight a battle of faith, you can't engage or entangle with the very things that belong to the earth. To this world, because you're finding yourself dragging your feet to war. And there's certain things as Christians, when we become Christians, that we still drag with us that we never shut the door. And that's why we find ourselves not as enthused, like as determined to follow Christ. Because we still we welcome them in through the door. We didn't really shut it. We left it a little bit of a jar, you know. We let a little bit of a crack. We didn't close the door. So that very thing that's going to distract us doesn't come in. For example, sin. Sin's an example. Like many Christians become Christians and they leave that crack open so sin stays lingering. It's still there. It's still attached to you. And I have faith. I have faith. But I never shut the door to sin. I never cut it off. Finished. Listen to what Hebrews says about this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'll read it for you. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Beautiful scripture. Among all the people of the faith, among all the witnesses of God, you know, because we're running with them, because we're with them, you know, let us then cast off that weight of sin that's dragging me down. Let's, get, let's deal with it. Let's get rid of it. The sin that so easily swifts me off. And let us run with endurance. That's a beautiful word, endurance. Let us run with, you know what endurance means? I don't know uh, if you've ever done what, a 10K, 12K run. It's a difference between 100 meters or a 10K run, right? Do you expect when you run to run casually? There's an element of endurance that's required. Is that right? Endurance means that you've got the persistence or the determination to keep going to get to the end. That's endurance. But have you ever done a 10K run and, and, and you're getting there like about 8Ks or 7Ks. What's, what are you feeling? I mean, I'm, I'm going at like 400 meters. Like, you know, do, do another one, another 400 meters. What, what do you feel when you're, when, you're, when you're meant to run with endurance? Well, I feel a pain. Don't you? Like, my, my, I feel like my, my muscles are tightening up. I feel like I can't catch my breath. I feel like it's hurting me now. Like, you know, oh man, I can't keep going. I feel like I'm going to faint. Is that right? And he's saying that's how you've got to run. 
run with endurance. That's how you got to run. You don't stop because you're feeling that. You don't, you don't say, oh, well, this is a bit too much for me. You run with endurance. You've got to keep running till you get to where? To get to the finish line. So that sin, that kind of gets you feeling like painful, it's painful, I can't do this, you know, I can't really, like it's hard on me. And No, 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 whatever cost, whatever pain, cut that off. Get rid of it. You shut the door and it's done. Another thing that you leave open is uh, worldly wisdom. You never really quite learn to grow in the Word of God and understand the discerning spirit of God's Word, and you apply worldly wisdom to your new life in Christ. You never really shut the door to your own ideas and what you think. You don't start clean and and fresh like a newborn child. You still hold to old worldly advice. And because of that, it hinders your walk. You never kind of get your brain just washed clean again, you know? I want to start clean. You still carry on old philosophies, the very philosophies that got you in chains in the first place, you know? The very ideas that that actually bound you, you never really let them go. That's why the Bible says you've got to renew your mind daily. Daily, just in case, to get it in check, that the door hasn't somehow creaked open, you know, that it's kept shut, that any advice and any counsel or any direction is in light of God's word. It hasn't snuck under the, like a draft under the door, because it's possible, and, and, and it's happening. You see it coming into churches, psychology rather than Jesus, you know, philosophies that are worldly rather than the true trust in the living almighty God. You see it in the education system, you see it everywhere. Today, the churches are half-half, you know. How do you help someone? Well, a bit of a textbook here of psychology and Jesus. That's a perfect blend, you know. And Christ says, no way. I'm not going to help because I'm not going to share my glory with anything else. I don't want that person, once they're healed, to say, well, it was this textbook that did it. God says, I have nothing to do with that. Any man who wants to come to me comes to me. And I will show myself strong to them. But sometimes when you're still dependent on those things outside of Jesus, you're letting, it, you're letting the draft come through under the door. Two more things. Two more things where you've still left your door open. The lust of the world. The lust of the world. You still have this kind of a desire for whatever it is. Okay, you're a Christian. You know, but there's a part of me that still is dependent on money. You know, I still love my, I still love pleasures. You know, I still love leisures. I still, and there's a lust of the world that you've left the door open that's going to cause you to test yourself. Who or what do you love more? Because it's hard to suffer for, for Jesus when you're called to suffer for his namesake, when you still have a love in your heart for the things that are going to comfort you and provide for you and look after you. And you've got that door that's still open. I'm only sharing this with you for those of you who are quite serious and determined to grow as much as you can grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking to those in this room who are basically tired and fed up of being up and down, up and down, up and down. They want to see genuine, real Christian faith in their life. Like they want to see the activation of God's word happening for them. 
And that's how it happens when you close the door. When you close the door, that's why Colossians we read, if you then be raised with Christ, if you then have been raised with Jesus, that you're a Christian, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is, this is wisdom. Wisdom. And this one here I've put down. Some of us never really let go of our affection for people. I know that's hard to understand, but what I mean is this. We're always wanting some kind of acknowledgement, some kind of appreciation, some kind of significance from the world around us. And even as Christians, we never really let go of that. We still want some esteem. But the very nature of following Jesus is the cutting off of your brother, sister, mother, father. To love me more than anyone and when you're a christian and you still have a need or a desire to be acknowledged and 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 and, and received happily it's, it's, it's a door still open you've got to, if you want your faith to grow you've got to shut that door so that your faith is in, an, in a room without distraction i'm not distracted by my friendships i'm not distracted by my my relationships now Let's look at Jesus Christ. Do you think Jesus would have done the same thing? As an example, Jesus, the Son of God, would Jesus have done the same thing? Turn with me, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 32 to 35. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an epitomant in his speech, and they begged him, like we all do, you know, like we're in a situation, we beg for deliverance, like we beg for healing, we beg for something, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Now, before Jesus put his hand on him, before Jesus demonstrated faith, in verse 33 we read, and he took him what? Aside. From who? From the multitude. And he put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. What did he have to do? He took him aside from the multitude, from all the noise, from all the distractions, from anything that's going to hinder this work of God that needs to take place in faith. He took him aside. And, and what I love is the fact that God had to take you aside this morning from the world to take you into faith. Like he's brought you here. You understand? He, he, you can't do this in your world, in your home. He's taking you out. That's why he says, I want you to keep one day holy. You know, separate that from all the other days. I'm taking you aside. That's what he does. And then look, it goes in the same, uh, in the next chapter, again, a blind man. Uh, in verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22. Listen to what happens here. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and he begged him to touch him. What did he do in verse 23? So he took the blind man by the hand, and what did he do? And he led him out of the town. A space for faith. 
a room for faith. Mark chapter 9, the next chapter. Uh, verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's stop there. I'll explain the situation. A, a father has a son who's, who's basically gone crazy. You know, he throws himself into the fire. He'll throw himself into the water. Very dangerous situation. And he needs deliverance. He goes to the disciples and the Pharisees and all the scribes and they're starting to argue about the situation and he can't find anyone to help. So then he sees Jesus come and he goes can you help and Jesus says if you believe I can do anything and everything whatever you want if you believe if you only believe it's possible now look what happens in the situation here in verse 24 immediately the father of the child cried out and says I believe help my unbelief but look at verse 25 look what happens here and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together what did he do so why are we told these little things? Why are we told when Jesus saw the crowd running, he rebuked the spirit? Why? Why are we told that? Because again, faith had to be taken place before the distractions came in through the door. Straight away, as soon as they saw, I'm not going to allow any unbelief to linger while this man has faith to prove to him that all things are possible with faith. As soon as he sees these people running, he's quickly casting out the demon so that man's faith stands alone. That's what happens there. Now go back to that chapter in Mark chapter um, 8. In verse 22, the blind man, in verse 23, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town and he spat in his eyes and he put his hand and he said, he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. In verse 25, then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Verse 26, then he sent him away to his house. What did he say? Don't go back to your village. Don't go back into your town. Nor tell anyone in the town. Don't go back. Isn't that beautiful? No, I, th- I thought that's extraordinary. What's like? Don't open the door. Don't open the door again. Keep it closed. Keep it closed. But then I thought about this guy and I thought, wow, like poor guy. What if his house is in the town? What if, what if he lives in the town? Don't go back in the town. Did you hear me? How powerful is faith? It transforms and changes your life. So much so that you don't go back. What's more valuable? That you got your house or you stay blind? Make up your mind, blind man. What would you rather choose? Can you imagine that after he got his eyes back, he, got, he gets his eyes back, <laughs> and then... Then he's ready to head home, back to the the town, and Jesus says to him, "Uh, listen, don't go back there. And the blind man's going, what do you mean? Where am I going to live? He goes, well, don't go back there, move on. That's not fair, man. You can't give me eyes and then take my house away, can you? That's unfair. And you get to choose. What do you want? Do you want to see? Or do you want to keep your house? See, faith transforms you. It changes you. And it's up to you guys here in this room. What do you want? You want faith 
Or do you want to live in your luxuries, in your money, in your whatever it is, or your friendships? What do you want? Do you want, a, do you want faith or you still want to still hold on to those things in this world? What do you want? If that man, seriously, saw and he went back to his house wanting blindness, it'd be foolishness. I'm pretty sure if you asked that blind man before he was even healed, what would you rather? If I was to give you your eyes back, would you prepare to leave your house? That's the cost. What would you rather? If I was to give you the eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, would you prepare to leave your homes? If you were promised eternal life (laughs) for eternity, would you be prepared to give up everything in this world for him? What would you rather? Well, this is it. So why do you leave the door open? Why do you crumble or complain? So, well, is that Christianity? Or does that mean I have to do this? Does that mean I've got to do that? Who cares? You can see. You've been given eternity. You have eternal life. What, you're really going to worry and be petty about those things that are perishing? So these are the examples that you see, but what you see as well is Paul. Listen to this. Paul says this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, 14. Brethren, brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm there, but this is what I'm doing. I'm telling you what I'm doing. I am leaving everything outside that door. And the door is nailed shut. And I'm going to take a hold of this thing called faith. And I'm going to keep holding it and holding it till I receive that prize. I pray that's your desire. I pray that's where your heart is. I pray that your, your heart is yearning and saying, yes, Lord, I want this. Because if you can desire this and desire this with your life, everything that you're choosing to seek and find and look for, is found in this. Jesus says, if you delight, God says, if you delight yourself in me, I will give you the desire of your heart. But if you delight yourself in him first, delight yourself in him is to basically make him everything and all that he is, and he will give you the desire of your heart. And I'm pretty sure the way it works is this, that your desire of your heart will be him, and you delight yourself in him, and that will fulfill you. That's the, that's the irony of it. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your desire for Him grows and grows and grows and your desire for Him was to be more and more and then you delight yourself in the Lord and your desire for Him grows and grows and you keep delighting yourself in the Lord and the path of the just shines more and more unto that beautiful, perfect day. You become a tree planted by rivers of water that you'll bring forth fruit in season when it's meant to be. Your leaves will not wither. Whatever you do, you will prosper. There is mistakes, but those mistakes always flourish flowers for you. They never slay you or kill you. The errors in your life become your beauty, your aroma, a sweet scent of what God can do with these mistakes. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 40. So I think that when you're... When you live by an example like Jesus did. And people saw that. 
I wonder, because, you know, Peter would have lived with Jesus, you know, for three years. He would have seen how Jesus interacted. He would have seen every time Jesus did something, he, he went off and he separated himself. Or, or when he was healing, like, you know, this, he took him aside and he left the multitude. And Peter would have watched and learnt, right? So now that Jesus is dead, he's gone, and now Peter's left on earth. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, verse 40... We see a manifestation, like, a, like, a, like what, what Peter, one of his disciples, had learned from Jesus. Now there was at Joppa, in verse 36, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick, and she died, whom they had washed, and they laid her in the upper chamber. For as much as Lyra was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. Now look at this. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows, what, what, what were the widows doing? They were weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. They were weeping and they were, they were, they were um. Uh, reflecting and rehearsing and reflecting and rehearsing the grief and the pain and the existence and woe and look what happened here and that's that that was the situation and then when Peter came in verse 40 but Peter but Peter what did he do put them all forth he let he left them outside you see? And what did he do? And he knelt down and he prayed. And then he turned to... Look, he didn't even look at the body. He wasn't even looking at the body. Because the body, looking at it, could have actually hindered his faith. He was, he was turning away from it. And, this is, and he turned to the body once he had the confidence and the faith to tell her to rise, she rose. You understand? This is, this is how we ought to be dealing with faith. You've got you've to shield it. You've got to protect it. You've got to guard it. You've got to make sure that everything that is a distraction to your faith, to your walk, is shut outside the door. Now, I challenge you. I dare you. Those of you who claim to have faith, I dare you to shut the doors. And then really see what faith does. I challenge you. Those of you who are Christian and you say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, cut it off. Sin, worldly wisdom, affections, pleasures, life, whatever it is, that, that, that's a distraction. And may Christ, your all in all, you'll see how faith raises the dead. Faith makes people see. Faith opens your ears. Faith gives you words. That's your, your challenge this week. That's your, your bread this morning. Shut the door. Leave distractions behind. And let faith have its space, that environment where it can grow. I'm like Barry. I'm, Barry's better at a garden than I am, but sometimes I play in the backyard too with plants. And, and I had a plant and I thought I can bring it to life then I put it and it didn't come to life it died it went all green yellow gold it's the only gold I got um, and I couldn't work it out because I put it in an environment where all the distractions for its its life were there like the strong sun that was beating against it drank its water 
you know. But if I took that plant and put it in an environment where faith can nourish, you know, where there's protection, where there's, where, where there's, where there's uh, all the distractions cast outside, I would have I blossomed it. It's the same with your faith. It's the same with your faith. That's why it's a beautiful thing to come to church on a Sunday morning because this here is the room where the door shut out from the world and you're nourishing your faith. That's why a Bible study where the distractions of the world, it's nourishing your faith. That's why in your own time, in your own space, in your own house where you've got the door shut. Um, Susanna Wesley, who uh, the mother of Charles Wesley and John Wesley, one of the greatest evangelists in England, uh, used to basically wrap her uh, apron over her head and used to uh, pray in the corner of her house and when her children saw that they knew well not to get close to her because this was her space this is where her, she was nourishing her faith this was her door shut to the world and that's what you ought to be doing in your own life if you just come to a Sunday morning just so that you can hear the word and be excited and enthused and up again you're mistaken you know because there's going to be events and situations in your life that are going to require you to have practiced what it is to shut the door. All the loud noises and all the, all the ideas are going to be pounding in your head and you don't know which way to go and you should have practiced what it is to have shut the door. And that's what we should be doing in our lives. You should be practicing what it is to be shutting the door. So when that day of trial or hardship comes, you would have mastered how to have grown your faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As you have your heads bowed, just reflect on the song and um, listen to the voice of God. Whatever God's knocking on your heart about, respond to Him. It's being sure of all that I hope for and certain of what we cannot see. By faith we understand that the universe was formed under God's command. And I it's nothing that you cannot do. Lord, I know that with you there is no limit for a life surrendered to you alone. But it's only when I walk in your light, Lord. I can feel the warmth of the sun. But you're calling me to something amazing. Just as long as I believe and obey. But Lord, I know that in my own strength 
I cannot do anything but with you, Lord. I know that all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. There's nothing that you cannot do. Lord, I know that with you there is no limit for her life surrendered to you alone. But it's only when I walk in your light, Lord, I can feel the warmth of the sun. But you're calling me to something amazing Just as long as I believe and obey But Lord, I know that in my own strength I cannot do anything but with you, Lord I know that all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. I know there's nothing